All right, hey everybody, it's uh, Scoots here, and it's time for uh, a look back at two Thursday series in a row instead of just one. Unless, unless I forgot, I don't think we did a Thursday recap of uh, the first time we did a third season of After the Glass Slipper. I mean, I guess we kind of did a recap with Agatha, but that was more of like uh, in Agatha's character. And then a more recent look back at uh, As the North Pole Turns. So as we like to, or as I like to do in these series, is to kind of take a look back at uh, like in a meandering, you know, way down my recent memory, which is just as uh, winding as my distant memory sometimes. And kind of look at the concept and how the writing went and how the, like, what the reception was and what were some of the influences. Uh, so we'll start with uh, As the North Pole Turns, because that was very recent and it'll be a little bit easier to talk about. Uh, and uh, so that was a four episode series that uh, it was for the holiday season. And last year we didn't do a holiday serial or episodic series. And I do like, and, and, and you know, if you're awake and you want to give feedback, I do kind of go back and forth on uh, the holiday material um, because the, the whole idea of the show is to be inclusive, but also uh, uh, fun and silly. And I think, like I talked about in a lot of the, like I did talk about a lot this season, but it's like I was strongly influenced, the whole podcast was influenced, uh, as is my con- concepts of adulthood and everything, by consuming massive amounts of television and movies as a child. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know, like, like where people lay or lie on that, uh, but uh, this year I was like, okay, let's try. It is also a challenge, uh, that I enjoy. And it also, um, I think it's a necessary part of the creation of the entire podcast is having written episodes on, uh, once a week or, you know, moving into 2018, it'll be about every 10 days. Uh, but I think I'm still going to be writing them every seven days. That's just my process. Uh, but I think that like affects the rest of the episodes in a positive way. Because uh, it improves, uh, just improves how I'm exploring the show and the narration within the show and what works and what doesn't work and what, like, how do we develop these stories and how does that transfer to the tr- Trending Tuesday type shows, to the personal essay style shows, and to the, um, even to the TV recap shows. Uh, so we'll be continuing to do a serial series because I'm, I'm already uh like uh one and a, I'm, I'm like just finishing up the writing process uh, for the second episode of the new series uh so okay so after north pole turns what i was trying to think of was at some point uh like uh, in the recent in the last six months i stood like uh, there was the uh on showtime the twin peaks revival and in preparation for that i rewatched season one and part of season two and one of the things I, I guess I had forgotten was that it was also a soap opera, like it was, it was the first two seasons of, uh, and then it had a lot of, uh, soap operatic elements, uh, in it just nods and the acting and the directing and, and the Showtime revival or the Showtime continuation or season three or whatever it's called, 
I did have that as well, but uh, I don't know, really watching, I don't know, it really like uh, stuck out to me and it was something I greatly enjoyed and just made me uh, savor it on a whole nother level being like, oh, I forgot about this, uh, this extra layer that uh, Lynch and Frost were doing and it just made it even more impressive. And it doesn't mean you have to watch that show or like it. It was just, uh, it was an influence for me to say, okay, what about the, that's one genre we haven't made our way into is uh, soap operas in a, like, uh, like uh, there was the daytime soap operas and then there was uh, nighttime soap operas. And as a child, I wasn't exposed to nighttime soap operas till the, the, the gen 2.0 which we'll talk about in a second, but I did get exposed time to time to daytime soaps through my mom. And that would be either in the summertime sometimes or when I was sick or when I was home from school for a while in second grade, uh, when, when I like, uh, like I like had injured my, my arm. And so I was home for a couple of weeks and I think I consumed a lot of soap operas with my mom and not a lot, I think, she, and again, I'd have to check with her what was her soap. Uh, uh, but, it, like, in the 80s, like, uh, when you didn't have DVRs and streaming television, uh, and it was appointment television, I think there was probably three different soap operas competing with one another. And then even in the past, when I wasn't doing soap operas, I talked about this article in The New Yorker I read, in the early aughts, I think it was, and I've linked to it in a long time ago. I hadn't been able to find it before I did this series, uh, but just about the writing of soap operas. Uh, and this was, I guess, on the tail end of the daytime soap uh, in, in the early aughts. Uh, but I did also read like uh, an interesting article about the daytime soaps and the development through the 1950s. Uh, and like, so I'll link to that and, and the major influences and, uh, just, just really interesting and inspiring stuff. Uh, and then, okay. So let me tell you, yeah, I guess I'll talk about my personal experience first. And then in, in, uh, I guess it was in the nineties was when, uh, uh, 90210 and Melrose Place were on. And yeah, watch those shows. I'm not embarrassed. I guess I like, uh, I remember, especially Melrose Place was a very soap opera, soap operatic, uh, like, uh, uh, 90210 was somewhere between, it could be a soap opera sometimes, like, uh, like when they had, uh, like when they were adding new characters and stuff, uh, at, uh like when Tiffany, I think Tiffany Amber Thiessen came out and then she really had like this, uh, soap operatic turn. Yeah, but whatever, like I was watching that and then I was watching uh, Melrose Place with roommates and stuff, you know, not just on my own. Uh, but there is something about soap operas uh, that is like a, b both viscerally enjoying, I guess it's like a, a feast for the eyes and then an emotional, uh, uh, like it just goes on these really, unlike this podcast, uh, it's a much more sharp, windy road. And like, so sometimes can be so over the top. I mean, especially Melrose Place with Sydney. I just remember sometimes like just like falling on the floor laughing. Uh, it just like, uh, like some of the plot lines, but it was still enjoyable. It wasn't, uh, and it was, I guess, a level of suspension of disbelief. And a lot of times I think it like, uh, 
and I don't watch any of the new soaps, but maybe I should get into, I don't know, is Riverdale a soap opera? I don't know. That's what everybody's talking about. Uh, but like, uh, like, like, uh, is like is that your, your belief is suspended in a way that like, uh, it doesn't pull you out of the narrative even cause you're like bought in for that 30 or 60 minute time period. Uh, so those were my starting influences. It was like daytime soaps that I saw in my mind because I did find them interesting and then occasionally tuning in. And this isn't, this is kind of jokey, but it's true. Like, I feel like, like 60% of the time I tuned into a soap opera in the last 20 years, uh, it was taking place at a coffee house. That's how it influenced, uh, Donner and Blitzen. And it was like the opening, like, and there was like the singer songwriter and like somebody had just opened the coffee house. So like the dreamer character, and then the other dreamer character was either had stage fright or was going out performing for the first time or was watching the performance. Uh, and then of course it was like always these situations where then people could discuss things. So they'd be discussing before the performance or after the performance or someone would come on stage. And then because of the internet archive, like I was able to, uh, like, uh, like listen to some, uh, night, like, a. Now I'm forgetting uh, which uh, which one I was watching. I think Guiding, yeah, it was Guiding Light, uh, which was the first soap. It went from radio soap to a television soap, and I think that was what the New Yorker article that I'll try to link to was about. And I guess you could say that was like a radio drama. I, I mean, I don't know, like, I'd have to look at, the, like, or melodrama, I guess, uh like, so I listened to the, like a lot of the first season, like the first season of Guiding Light, uh, I think uh, is what I was listening to. I can hear it, Guiding Light. And then there was like, a, so it started off with a soap ad uh, for soap, uh, like, and I don't even remember the brand. Like it was some brand that doesn't even exist anymore. And it was a weird, like, uh, and it was a weird title. And I don't know if it was before branding. I thought branding, unfortunately, had been with us for, for all of time. You know, it was like, uh, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, it really was informative and really well done in podcast alike. Uh, and it heavily influenced what would be the structure of this four episode season. Uh, because they did have this, like, it did heavily influence me how there was this, uh, voice, uh, and I guess I didn't listen enough to it, but, uh, there was like this voice, like the Jack Frost voice, uh, that wasn't quite a narrator, but would key off a lot of the scenes. So talking to the main character in the scene in some way, like that was kind of like a conscience or kind of was like a, a regretful voice, like kind of like an internal voice uh, that was also external and some kind sometimes knew some things or could be pestering the character. But to kind of set the place of the scene... Uh, it also helped, you know, because it's an audio, it did help, like, shape the emotional uh, resonance of the scene. And, it, I mean, it's really brilliant. Like, when when uh, when I think about it from, uh, like, what I've learned about audio production and in, in audio storytelling and the people I look up to, uh, like, a, like, Within the Wires is something that is, like, still, like, I'm re-listening to episodes over and over again. I mean, this is different in some way, and this is like, uh, but the way she was able, uh, the creator, 
I don't know, was able to just use this uh, short narration uh, to influence the scene so the character didn't have to necessarily talk about their emotions and the actor could express it, but then you had an understanding going into the scene. Uh, it, I just like it. It was, it was a, I guess in some sense it was a narrative trick, uh, but in a good way. And so that was something I said, okay, I want to keep that and maybe change it. And I made the character more, you know, brought it in. But it was just interesting because it'd say, oh, Scoots, uh, you're thinking about, uh, you know, what you're going to do later instead of thinking about the show. So what are you going to do later if you're not, you know, something like that, like that. And then that would be what uh, would be the underlying uh like sometimes it'd be the subtext. I don't know. It's different. It was different. And, and I don't know. And then I was just like captivated by, uh, the subject matter. And like, like it was just like, uh, I don't know. It was really like, uh, it's on the internet archive. Maybe I can link to it. Uh, and again, I think even I was reading like, uh, like, is this like, I mean, it's on the internet archive, but I, like where the rights are for these kind of things, uh, is is even like kind of obscured uh, like is it in the public domain or is it a property i mean that's not super important but uh, uh just really interesting and then from creating a sleep podcast uh it was like okay now how am i going to do this in a way that's uh, sleepy and still tells the story and uh, w- what was the story i wanted to tell and and it, again that's where i was influenced by guiding light was like uh they had like I don't know if they had like actual antagon antagonists, but they had people that were like practice antagonism, and it was kind of based on these two different couples. And uh, I don't know, like the the, the beginning arc of the season of Guiding Light, and uh, uh, this this kid and uh, like oh geez, who's the kid going to live with? And and uh, it, like it just, just I don't know. I, I, I like, uh, I just really like uh, charmed by it. And I was like, wow, they were all able to do all that to me physically and mentally and and everything, and, and just these little tiny story bits. Uh, and so I said, oh, I wonder if I could do that for the podcast. And I liked the idea of this kind of like, uh, like uh, this one kind of like, like uh, even in the story, it was like the, the, the guy that ran the business in guiding like the head boss, uh, uh, like a, a capitalist type figure. And I said, okay, well that's, uh, that's topical. Uh, and it has some, like I said, okay, can we have something like that? But maybe, I don't know, like that's not all antagonists that has some other side to it. And, um, that's where Reverend Molding came from. I guess Reverend Molding we never explained why he was Reverend Molding. Uh, but that wasn't super, like, that was just wasn't part of the story we were telling in four episodes. Uh, but he kind of was like this more mysterious, uh, like, uh, figure with an agenda uh, that maybe the other characters didn't necessarily agree with. And, uh, like, as an outsider bringing this agenda to the North Pole. And of course, I always like stirring things up, you know, stir, stirring up, uh, like, uh, like changing the st- like status quo at the North Pole is always like one of my MOs. Uh, 
they say, Santa, you've had, you've reigned too long. But this was like also looking at the history. And since I was influenced by his guiding light in the 1950s, that's why I kind of chose the 1950s. And it also did look like, as I researched, you know, that the 1950s were like a time when there was this transfer from uh, uh, metal and wood toys to plastic toys and plastics were becoming a thing and uh, becoming used way more in household products and stuff. So I said, oh, that would be interesting. Like, uh, in, you know, and not exactly riveting. But, but if you were at the North Pole, it would have a t- tremendous influence. But as a listener, I mean, if you're at the North Pole and you're going to go from working on wood to working on plastic, that's going to have an impact on your day-to-day operations. But, you know, when you're thinking about it, you say, Scoots, okay, well, that's it. That's interesting to you, Scoots. Interesting. Uh, so how many hours did you spend fantasizing about the North Pole uh, transferring in the 1950s? And I say, yeah, quite a few hours I did. Because, uh, yeah, like I said, this is melorama. Okay, so those are the big decisions. Uh, those are the stakes in some sense. And I guess it wasn't enough stakes, uh uh, plastics versus wooden metal because uh, they said, well, that's probably not enough for Christmas. I think I even joked about it in an episode. It's like, okay, if you're telling a, a Christmas story that takes place at the North Pole, uh, there's really, you, your stake options are really limited. You either, is, are we going to cancel Christmas or is Christmas going to be on time? Or who's going to, like, uh, like, how are we going to get Christmas on time? Or who's going to replace Santa Claus or like, but this is the stakes usually have to be, will the presents be delivered or not? Uh, and I think in this case, it said, well, well, we got a new idea have the freaking parents buy the presents, uh, which also, you know, gives him like, I don't know. I always look at uh, the mythology of like, uh, what if the parents needed it? Now this is like, this is finally the Christmas tale that explains to the parents why you got to buy presents. Once upon a time, you may not have had to buy presents. So I don't know if that is a good myth. Uh, you say, wait a second. In, the, in 1949, Santa would have just brought my kids gifts made of wood or metal, and I wouldn't have had to worry about it. Uh, but now, fast forward 50, whatever odd years, 60 years, uh, I got to go to the store and spend a bunch of money on this stuff. And you say, yeah, it's, it's, called, it's job security, right? Uh, or trickle-down something, they say. Uh, so, okay, so what drew my attention was uh, Reverend Molding, like a mysterious, uh, like, outsider figure with influence. Uh, and then I said, what's it like, where's the human touch? Uh, which, again, the Guiding Light did a very good job. They had these... Uh, at least episodes I listened to had three tender characters, uh, a husband and wife, and uh, I think the, the husband's sister, who was married to the more antagonistic character. And it was kind of sometimes like old-fashioned. I mean, it was in the 1950s, but you'd be surprised. Uh, and so then I said, okay, who are the, who's going to, where's the humanity going to come from? Or like, uh, who are we going to care about? And that's when I said, at first I had this idea for Ginny, Ginny, Ginny and Ginny, Jingle Jangle, like a husband and wife team uh, that were running, you know, the elves. At some point early on when I was sketching it out, I was like, oh, should this take place? Like, should this be Mrs. Colossus' story? 
I mean, you know me, I'm kind of over Santa Claus. I mean, not any like pointing the fingers away. I just think those stories have been kind of told. Uh, and then I said, well, even Mrs. Claus kind of feels like, uh, so then I said, okay, what about like, uh, this entire city, like, uh, like residents of the city and the whole op- operations, which is, uh, it, it gets mined a lot, but there's nothing wrong with that. And I said, okay. And they had this idea for Jenny Jangle, and then I kind of had her, like, Jenny and then Jingle, her husband, maybe. And then as I started to sketch it out, I just found that Jenny was a little bit more uh, powerful or something. She spoke to me. So I said, okay, I don't know about your husband. He's not really interesting. It, it, that was just it. I said, well, I'm not interested in your husband very much. And so then I started to think about, like, who does Jenny spend her time with? Who is she friends with? Uh like, who, who is she is She in, like, relationships with that interests me? And then, uh, I don't know who the first character was. Maybe it was one of the um, reindeer, which it turns out, uh, like, I found out that reindeer with horns in the winter are women or female, I guess. Uh, yeah, but if you're personifying them. But, but so that was a little bit of a mix-up. But, it, like, uh, I had Donner and Blitz in, and then... Uh, um, uh, Rolfine and Fiona, and I think Fiona, like the newscaster, I don't know who came first, but th- those are the characters that started to draw my attention with, in addition to Reverend Molding. But also, I was worried about Reverend Molding, uh, drawing too much of my attention because he was kind of a mysterious figure. And I was like, how much is this going to get caught up in the whole plastics thing? And how am I going to avoid that? But again, I'm writing this, uh, I don't sketch out the seasons, uh, cause if I did, I would just, it would become a point of procrastination instead of a point of production. So I said, okay, well, we got these elements. Let's kind of start writing some scenes and, uh, like see how these characters interact. And I kind of had the feel for how the guiding light episodes were. Which was like, yeah, a couple related scenes, like uh, two or three or four or five uh, related scenes, uh, maybe around one character's, uh, like uh, some sort of, like, it it was more of a drama than a melodrama, I think. Uh, I'd have to get a dictionary and figure that out. But I said, okay, well, I have the idea for the plastics. So that'll be like maybe the under, like the the current, the tension of current. and then it like, uh, I don't know. I started getting to know the characters and then, uh, it started, I think it was already writing, but I wrote a couple scenes with, uh, Jenny Jangle. And then I was like, okay, well maybe like, uh, one of these, uh, reindeers kind of going through something, uh, and they're like needing some caring. So then I was like, okay, that'd be bullets and maybe Donner. I, I don't know. They're like in a relationship or friends or whatever partners like uh but they're estranged and really didn't think about jenny's husband i guess until like maybe i don't know when i was like oh boy what about what did i do with her husband uh and then i kind of had the idea for fiona and rolfine and that was kind of influenced too by me watching all his rudolph specials and saying well what, what their guy should be a snow person or, or part snow person in this and I think in contrast to drama or melodrama, like I wouldn't wanted to base it in real love, like uh, if I could portray that. Like, so I was thinking, okay, maybe this won't be uh, 
Like maybe that'll make it more of a melorama if these characters' relationships, uh, or most of them, like I think uh, Rolfine and Fiona particularly, they had the strongest uh, and most solid foundation in their relationship, uh, which doesn't add to drama or melodrama, but to melorama, it, uh, you know, no relationship's perfect. And in, 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 uh, I know it gave me some freedom uh, and then I said, okay, well, maybe Blitzen and Donner's uh, relationship is strained, but the foundation is still there somewhere. And then it kind of led me to Ginny and her husband. And that was more of a, like, her husband became more of like a, like a device, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm admitting it. Uh, than a real, like, character. Uh, cause they said, well, okay, how are we going to drive this? Uh, cause the thing with, like, I've talked about this, but it's a good thing to always talk about is like, uh, at the podcast, even though it's a sleep podcast and I believe structurally the episodes need a beginning, middle and end, even if that's so convoluted, it's tough to penetrate for a listener. Uh, which I think from the feedback I got from these was like, that this was very, uh, uh, difficult to penetrate. Like a lot of people were getting put to sleep. Uh, uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, uh, but that it also like to get a beginning, middle and end, you have to have some sort of conflict or, uh, some sort of a journey or some sort of, uh, I guess you don't necessarily need a change. Uh, I guess you do though. Even if it's not like, uh, even if it's a melorama change, it's like, okay, and you need stakes, uh, uh, just cause it, those are the bones of, uh, telling a story to me, at least uh, even in a sleep podcast. And yeah, I have freedom to kind of, uh, I mean, to make these kind of first or second drafts <laughs> that don't necessarily, that there's loose ends and things like a husband, uh, that's in a mysterious elven underground, uh, and that Santa just hired a dude named Reverend Molding to uh, consult on changing the North Pole over the plastics. Uh, but uh, I don't know. And also, like, uh, not all my stories are warm and fuzzy, and I don't think this one particularly was. But I think having um, uh, some couples, I don't know if I've done a lot of couples. Uh, I don't know. So maybe this will be something I return to um, in the future. I guess I've had, uh, like, uh, non-romantic partners uh but i think it maybe gave like uh it helped underlie the subtext of the podcast which is like oh this is a safe and comforting place uh like uh and it helped like allay any fears of the characters like i think particularly like uh but then explore their individual unhappiness that wasn't a result of their relationships uh I mean, though, Donner and Blitzen, I think they could use, you know, they could have used a little bit of time, like, uh, to work things out a little better. And clearly, Ginny and her husband, maybe they should just be friends. So, yeah, then we just went exploring, and, and the kind of story kind of built itself to say, okay, like, uh, a lot of times they have to do the first episode. And this is difficult in these really shortened seasons. Uh, and it was with this one is like, who are these characters? What do they sound like? Because I don't know what they sound like. And until I'm like, I can write dialogue for them. But when they're speaking their dialogue and I'm kind of inhabiting them, like I do, I guess, establish some intimacy with the characters. Uh, 
and I get to really get a glimpse of, like, a better glimpse of who they are and, and how they're behaving. And then it kind of will inform the rest of uh, my writing. And uh, uh, so they can be difficult in the short, shorter seasons, and especially when there's kind of pressure uh, to keep it contained. It can't just drag on and on. And I've been doing a lot of episodic writing. Uh, so, but it wasn't too challenging. It's always like, like this can be the fun part. I mean, the writing was challenging for this series, but I think it was more like, uh, uh, like just like my focus sometimes, uh, like, uh, w- was a little bit hard to come by. Uh, but yeah, then I got to spend some time with the characters and then I also, you know, if there is going to be action, I do like it to be fun. And so then I was like, oh, that'd be fun to have, uh. Uh, some North Pole action, and then I got as I did develop this relationship with the characters. It's like, okay, well, Ginny, tell me your dreams, or uh, Blitz and Donner, uh, like uh, Fiona. I mean, I think Blitz and Donner were probably the most interesting characters as far as like uh, what they wanted and what they were dreaming about, and and then it was an opportunity to kind of enable them to say, okay, well, this maybe this could be part of the solution uh, to the story or to, to resolving the crisis or whatever. And to say, here, let me help you with this and let me make it in, and in this situation, which I don't think a lot of storytellers have the luxury of, is like, uh, oh, and these decisions can make your relationship stronger, which kind of <laughs> could fly in the face of uh, like a, uh, Real narrative, like a different kind of narrative, t- daytime narrative tension. Uh, so they like, uh, I guess you'll talk about the feedback, which for the most part, uh, that I've seen and heard, like I heard from one person that thought someone else wrote this and they seemed not happy with it, but it, like, uh, I do get that about everything. Uh, yeah, but most of the other people that I saw or heard from was said, geez, I f- was falling asleep so fast or, even when I tried to listen, uh, I couldn't get through it. Like I just was falling asleep or, you know, losing focus. And to me, that's always a good sign. Like, I mean, it's okay. Well, uh, and I like, and it just draws my curiosity. This is like, okay, is it something about the way that was layered that, that there wasn't this in there? Like, I'm always interested in what is the narrative voice of the, this uh, series or this part of Sleep With Me podcast? And how can I find, you know, within my limited purview, uh, new ways to, 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 like, or new high points or viewpoints uh, or ways, like, of narrating uh, that are going to fit within the context of the podcast, uh, where it's not just Scoots or Drew narrating or driving the story. I mean, that can work, and, and it does. Uh, so this was just an interesting one of, like, more of a, a set piece, like a, a stage play uh, with the only narration kind of being, so mostly dialogue and then just the narration being this uh, Jack Frostian figure uh, kind of twisting some knots and pointing out the emotional... Uh, uh, it, like where, you know, pointing at the character and saying, Hey, aren't you feeling this? Or aren't you really thinking about this? So that was fun. And, and it, and it just really, uh, it had a different feel for me, but within the tradition of sleep with me. So I think it transferred 
which is always interesting. And it's funny because I think maybe these shorter things, because the, the Claude Neon one was also, uh, that was two years ago. And that was a new narrative voice, I think, of like a reporter telling a story. Uh, so that, I think that's about it with the North Pole. Uh, and yeah, we'll see if it comes back. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I probably at some point in that in the near future, we'll try to return to this uh, uh, melorama, soap operatic uh, uh, dialogue based. I mean, the first season of Superdoll was mostly dialogue based. Uh, or maybe it was entirely dialogue-based. Now I'm thinking about writing it. I can still imagine, even though that was like 500 episodes ago, writing that first season of Superdolls like really fresh in my mind for some reason. Uh, the only difficulty, I guess, that I had with Superdoll that it was able to transfer was like having scenes with limited num- numbers of characters. Uh, and that, that that was like a, always something that's very difficult with Superdoll. It's like, okay, I don't know what this team of superheroes, uh, it can't tell a 50 minute bedtime story, uh, from all these different pursuits. Like, like it just, uh, it becomes a little much to manage, but managing them in these scenes in a much more mellow area, like it just contained in, in, in the North Pole and living areas. I don't know. It's very freeing. Yeah. So that's the North Pole. We like we got about let's see, like maybe fifteen minutes here to talk about uh, uh, after the Glass Slipper season three. And I mean, believe it or not, I started writing that this summer. I can picture myself uh, uh, prepping it and being like, uh, and I don't know. I think at, at one point uh, I was in communication with uh, one of her longtime listeners, Ahab's wife. Uh, who is a professor, and she was telling me kind of about uh, preparing for the class, or uh, we were just talking like uh, work stuff, and it made me curious. I said, oh, man, I haven't thought about syllabuses in a while. And at some point also I was like, okay, if I'm going to do another season of After the Glass Slipper, because Agatha is a character that I love very much, um, what would I do? What would the story be? Uh, and is there is there another story there? Because they said, okay, well, the first tale was her getting back with Cinderella, and then uh, uh, like like the fallout from that. And the second season was her managing things in Cinderella's absence. And so I said, what would it? And I said, okay, do we do it? Like, is this going to be a backstory? And I said, no. I said, her really, it was an interesting ending for her, uh, being that she lost her corporal corporal body and became a pit of lentils. Uh, uh, that's intriguing to me. So I said, okay, well, what will we do with the pit of lentils? And then, as influence after the North, as the North Pole turns. Uh, my consumption of Fraggle Rock, but my terrible memory uh, influenced this because I said, okay, wasn't there like this wise trash heap or something in Fraggle Rock? And I decided not to do any other research than be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure like, uh, and I said, was it wise or was it uh, not wise? And I said, but like, uh, and then I said, what are the names of any of the Fraggle Rock people? I said, I don't remember. But I said, I think you're right. There was like a really smart trash heap and, uh, 
It was like an oracle. And I said, okay, okay, so that's interesting, and I have a positive memory of that. And then my positive memory was like, maybe not. Maybe the trash heap was not uh, that great. And then I said, this is really the conversations that go on. I said, are you sure you're not confusing Oscar the Grouch with a trash heap? And my brain said, touche. And I said, he's someone that lives, a grouch that lives in a trash can. I said, are you sure you're not projecting Oscar's grouchy attitude onto the trash heap? And then I said, maybe there's other, tra- like, otherwise, tra-. and I said, maybe there's a pile of leaves. I don't know. Uh, and I said, well, whatever. I could picture a talking trash heap. And I said, I could see that as an oracle. Uh, is there something there? And I said, maybe. And then I said, well, okay, what is the context in this universe? And I said, okay, well, um, at this point that I can remember, because I don't have the luxury of uh, continuity, because uh, I just don't, like, uh, at this point or in, in in the past, be able to find the time to listen to 16 episodes and take notes uh, from, from the old episodes, I don't have a chance to do that. So I say, okay, what do I remember? And I remember, okay, the state of the world was, uh, you know, Agatha had saved the day. Cinderella was still like this, uh, wonderful leader. Uh, but the fairy homeland, I think was lost and maybe that was lost in season one anyway. But I said, okay, well, uh, Yes, we still have all of the fairy people, which are like, uh, that were the descendants of the fairy godparents, I guess you could say, uh, living side by side in Cinderella's community with humans. And whatever Agatha had done, uh, had like uh, reinvigorated them. Uh, so I said, okay, that makes sense. Uh, so, uh, okay, now they're all living together. And I said, okay, well, maybe she could be instructing them. Should she teach them how to be fairy godparents? Or, And then I think from discussing things with Ahab's wife, and then I said, what about like, uh, I don't know at what point I said, okay, maybe this could be like a mythology class uh, instead of like how to be like, and I said, okay, it has to be interesting because if uh, they're trying to all live together, you know, they're losing something. And there's probably, then I started reading a lot of syllabuses online. And I mean a lot, but, but like, uh, that's where Shelly came from was like, okay, yeah. Like, is this like, uh, like a preservation of their cultural myths, uh, versus like these European myths or whatever you want to call it. Like, uh, and what's the difference? I mean, like, uh, and I said, okay, so there'll be another character. Maybe it's a co-teaching. Yeah, like, uh, and I said, okay, like, uh, okay. And then we can kind of, like, use myths or use uh, fairy tales, uh, like, to kind of help me, like, uh, to, to influence, like, okay, what's the story we want to tell here in this episode? Like, uh, kind of as a writing prompt, because, I don't, like, sometimes I don't know where to start, uh, and so, like, uh, that's what it became. I was like, okay, like, and then we, like, I was looking at all these things and kind of sketching out, and then the, that's where we started with, was, like, these two co-teachers with dueling syllabuses. Uh, but then I still was like, oh, like, how are we going to get there? Like, uh, 
I don't think this is like episodic or like a too boring. Like we get like I always get worried we're in too boring a territory. And so at some point right away, I said, okay, well, and then who's going to tell the tale? Uh, or who's like, like, and I said, oh, maybe it's like, uh, like the students are researching it. Cause I was like, who's, are they going to be teaching out of a book or is it Agatha's memory versus Shelley's memory? Or I said like ancient texts. And I said, no, I don't like any of that. And they said, oh, the students, it could be like an oral history project. But then I kind of was like, okay, well, I don't want to have to do too many voices. So like, uh, uh, so student, like at first I was like, oh, that's it. Like oral history project. But then I was like, no, I think maybe, I don't know if I like was writing or recording when I was like, okay, that's not going to work. Like, uh, Agatha will have to present the material. This was must have been before production because they said, oh, okay, well she could give a recap. So maybe it doesn't take place in the classroom. Because uh, it's like a little bit too much activity and a little bit too much distraction. Like, like I think maybe that was after the first episode where I said, okay, well, she'd have to interact with the students. And then I'd have to do, then I'm deciding, like, who the students are, what are they, like, uh, then am I voicing the students? Am I voicing Shelly? So putting more into uh, Agatha's control uh, w- w- was like, okay, it's going to be her narrative voice and strongly, uh, her, 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 her opinionated, uh, narrative voice. And I said, okay, well, maybe she could do it as a recap of her day. At some point I stumbled on that. I don't know how, but, uh, and then I said, okay, and then we'll just write out, uh, yeah, we'll look at these myths or fairy tales and use those and kind of like be like, okay. And so then I would like read a myth or I'd read a fair, well, actually I wish it was that easy, but I would read like, uh, about a ton of myths in a row till something rang a bell <clears throat> or, yeah, like, uh, I was reading fairy tales in a couple different, like a graphic novel of fairy tales and then a written version of the fairy tales. And then a lot of times listening to it and then being like, uh, okay, which one's sticking, like, which ones are sticking out to me? And I was doing that, like, in a, like, laying train tracks. So I was, like, working ahead, like, uh, during non-writing time, consuming fairy tales and myths, uh, and being like, oh, and I mean, so many of them are so, uh, amazing and mesmerizing, uh, especially the fairy tales, like, uh, that I was like, holy cow, like, there's just some that are just so dreamlike. And they clearly have, like, a lot of the Grimm's fairy tales have, like, uh, you know, these layers to them. And so I said, oh, boy, this is this is going to be good stuff. And, yeah, I mean, it went up and down, I think, uh, uh, like, looking at, uh, like, using them and then kind of telling a tale. But it really gave, like, a lot of... Uh, a dreamlike opportunity because the myths have even less rules than a structured story, but they still have a purpose. So it's like, okay, what is the pur- like, uh, what would be the purpose in the fairy kingdom to be telling this myth? And, you know, how would it be different than humans? And, you know, how, how would it be like this myth? Uh, I mean, I think about Clam King and Benella, or, or like, yeah, yeah, like, if think the first two, yeah, like, or, uh, like, uh, uh, Damak and Gelat or whatever, like, uh, 
I don't know. It was interesting to explore, and it gave me like, uh, like once I knew what myth I had researched uh, for the story, I said, "Okay, how can I tear this and break it apart, and then rebuild it uh, in a way that works for this story?" I don't know. Give me a lot of freedom. I think Agatha talked about all the stories and the myths uh, that we used. Uh, but even pulling them from these different ones, you're reading them in a row. You see ones that are similar and you say, okay, what are these similar themes? And, uh, I don't know. And also thinking about the Agatha's from a fairy tale and she's a stepmother. It just was so, I mean, it had a lot of juice there and she's a great character to spend time with. So, so just like, uh, I don't know, and it's but it's hard also for me to go back to a character I haven't done in a while and get their voice and stuff. Uh, so I don't really try to do the voices as much as the personality and and to be them and inhabit them. And she just has like this imperfection to her that's just really nice to be with, uh, and in kind of like a like a confidence, and she's confrontational and opinionated. Yeah, so really enjoyable, uh, uh, like, uh, she, she speaks her mind, I guess, uh, and, uh, so, so really fun to spend time with, and I think it resonates with people, but also, again, very similar to North Pole being, like, dense enough that it, uh, it becomes, like, especially, like, with these myths, you say, okay, with Clam King, wait, who's Benella? Like, why, why is Benella, like, living with the Clam King now? And then maybe, like, towards the end of the season, being able to link back to that myth, because seeing, like, other myths that, uh, like, like, you're like, you're like, oh, wait a second, Persev, you know, like, uh, you're like, oh, wow. Uh, and just looking at the behavior of, like, gods and demigods and humans in the myths and thinking about, like, man, uh, you had some attitude, or in the, in the fairy tales, just like, uh, I don't know, just the way that like they'd get wrapped up, or or just a strangeness. I mean, because the like a uh, you know, frog song one. I mean, that was based on a, a very similar tale. Uh, the name escapes me, but it was like a bird instead. Uh, I don't know, like really, like uh, I don't know, really enjoyable. Uh, and yeah, I hope I made like a dense bedtime story stuff. And in that one, like, yeah, it gave me like, okay, this will be a 12 week or 13 week series. I think when I first sketched it out, I was like, oh, that's like 16. But then I was like, oh, wait, like the timing didn't work out with Thanksgiving. I mean, early on, I knew that. So I was like, okay, we'll make it 13 episodes. Uh, but yeah, like that is, uh, like how we get, and then I said goodbye to Agatha. And again, I don't know, like a lot of people ask when they have a favorite series, when's it coming back and like, or, or are you going to do this again? And I can relate to that as a fan of things. Uh, make it tell you that the first series for 2018 will be a new series. Uh, and it's something I'm excited about. And it was the idea I had had like, and then I said, then I literally have had the, I had the idea like four or five years ago. I guess while I was doing the podcast, so about four February, so three years, three plus years ago. Uh, but the story just never came together, and they said, oh, "Okay, let's do this one." I think it's ready now. Uh, but other like repeats, uh, 
Like, like I don't know when there'll be another blankety blank series. Just because, like, I'm not opposed to it, but it's like uh, I wait for my subconscious to figure it out and say, "Hey, I miss this character." Or, hey, what if this? Remember uh, that? Uh, what if this happened? Or hey, this just reminded me of this series. Uh, and I say, "Oh yeah, you're right." Uh, like, or I was thinking about Agatha, and I thought about the trash heap from Fraggle Rock, and. Uh, and that's where things start. I talked to somebody about uh, teaching at university, and I think about syllabuses, and then I think about uh, myths, and, and, and then it all comes together uh, to help put you to sleep. And I appreciate you listening and uh, indulging me, really, like uh, that I get to create, create these things within this uh, uh, context, and it ideally helps you sleep and uh it still poses like this, uh, this is always this puzzling challenge to me that I, uh, really enjoy. So thanks uh, and good night.